please stand with me as we're in awe and sing of how great our Lord is. You give life, you are love, you bring light to darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken.
Amen. Go ahead and be seated, please. Everybody that uh, put, helped us put the uh, worship together this morning, the, the people that are working in the kids' classes, 
the people that were here early setting up, the worship people, the, the people that led us in song, the brothers that prayed. Let's give them all a round of applause. I want to say thank you. It really is a, a powerful time when we come together like this. And uh, I really am blessed, and I hope you feel blessed as well this morning. I know during the worship I was, I was singing, and, you know, even just let the hand come up a little bit. Like, I know that's a little uncomfortable, but I let those hands come up a little bit because I got into the worship. It was awesome, and uh, I want to thank everyone for that. And I want to thank you all for being here. I want to welcome Simi Church and Shoreline Church. It is great to be together. This is a historic moment it is our first time coming together as two churches for a worship like this. We're going to do more in the future, but it is really great to be together uh, this morning. Uh, the title of my series is, uh, we're in a series in Simi, and it's called Following Jesus, or Hashtag Jesus. And the idea is, we're just going through the Gospel of Mark, and we're just following Jesus around wherever he went in the Gospel of Mark. Before I get started, though, I want to tell you a story about a priest and a preacher. So there was this priest and there was this preacher and they were standing on the side of a highway just before a sharp turn and they were holding up a sign and the sign read, the end is near, turn around now before it's too late. Now they stayed on the side of that road for most of the day in the heat holding that sign up and eventually a car, finally a car comes driving down the highway and the car slows and the driver is trying to read the sign and he reads the sign and gets annoyed right away. And so as he goes by, he rolls his window down. And he goes, you Jesus freaks, you guys are nuts. And then he stomps on the gas, burns out, tears off down the highway, whips around the corner. And after a few seconds, the priest and the preacher hear skidding. They hear a crash and a big splash. And the priest looks at the preacher and he says, you know, maybe we should have just said, turn around, the bridge is out. Let's pray before we read Mark chapter 4. Father, it is great to be together. Thank you for this time. Please bless our time together. Please speak through us, through your word. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. We're going to read Mark chapter 4, verse 21. It says, He said to them, Do you bring a in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. What we're reading is from Mark chapter 4. It's kind of in the middle of the chapter. Before this, for the first three chapters in the book of Mark, Mark is kind of following Jesus around as he traveled in Palestine. This is a simple map of Palestine. And up at the top, we have the, the province of Galilee. And that was where Jesus spent almost his entire public ministry, up there in Galilee. In fact, most of his life, he was raised in Nazareth. And, and, and for almost his entire life, except for a few times when he would travel down into Judea to the city of Jerusalem for various festivals and worships at the temple, he spent the majority of his time up there in Galilee. And Mark kind of follows him around from city to place and, and etc. But, but Mark doesn't just follow Jesus around. He also reveals a few things to us about Jesus. Number one, he reveals Jesus as the Christ. That's a fancy word for Messiah. Messiah was the person who the Jews at the time believed would come and liberate them from their oppression in the world. Mark believed Jesus to be the Christ, the Messiah. But Mark also believed Jesus to be God. And that's an important distinction. Jesus is God, 
according to Mark. And when you read the first three chapters of Mark, and throughout all the Gospels, really, you see Jesus described as having power and authority over the earth and over the spiritual realm. He's clearly portrayed, he's clearly pictured as being God. Now we get to chapter 4 of the Gospel of Mark, and Mark takes a little detour. He doesn't really talk about where Jesus is in this chapter. We can assume that he's in Galilee, and there's a good chance that he's probably traveling around the Sea of Galilee. But, but what Mark does in, 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 in chapter 4 is he basically gives us some teachings of Jesus. He begins to focus on, on what Jesus taught when he was on the earth. And he specifically talks about four parables. The sower, the lamp on the stand, which is what we just read, the growing seed, and the mustard seed. Now, in order to understand this, I want you to know what a parable is, because that's very important. When you see the teaching of Jesus, he often taught in parables. As a matter of fact, when, when big crowds were around, which was often the case, he taught in parables. And even his disciples were baffled. Why are you teaching parables? Sometimes they didn't even understand the parables. But he explained to them that, look, when I teach in parables, the basic gist of it is, is when in any given group of people, I'm not really interested uh, and, I mean, I want everyone to respond, but not everybody's going to respond. And so when I teach in parables, what I'm really trying to do is I'm trying to bring forth the cream of the crop. I'm trying to find the people who are really interested, who are really searching. Those people will actually seek out the meaning of a parable. Everyone else will just kind of let it go in one ear and out the other. And so Jesus frequently, when he was in public, taught in parables because he was really calling people out of the crowd. He wasn't just calling the whole crowd. He was looking for people who really wanted to know what he was trying to teach them. And when he taught in a parable, those people would come forward. What does that mean? Tell us more. They were intrigued. Other people thought, well, great little homily, great little story, and, and maybe they didn't, they didn't continue to pursue. So that's why Jesus taught in parables. But a parable, when you break it down in its most basic uh, definition of what a parable is, is it's a comparison. In fact, the word parable means to lay side by side. And the idea is, is so that you can look at the two things and pick which one is better. That's the idea of a parable. So Mark, in his gospel, gives us in chapter 4, four parables right in a row. And I believe Mark did that on purpose. Mark, Mark as a gospel writer, is also making a point to you and me. And that's an interesting thought, if you've never thought about this before, but when you study the Bible, one of the things to know when you read a gospel is they are actually sermons. That's really what they are. They're long sermons. And each gospel writer had a point. He had several points that he wanted to make based on the teachings of Jesus Christ. So when Mark puts these four parables together in Mark chapter 4, he does it for a reason. He's making a point. Now, that doesn't change what Jesus uh, the, the, the message of Jesus, because Mark understood the parables, he was able to order them in a way where he was able to make the points that Jesus would have made. You follow me? So here we are in Mark chapter 4, and we're reading the second parable. But to understand the second parable, the parable of the lamp, we have to understand the parable of the sower. I'm not going to read the parable of the sower. We don't have that much time. But I will tell you the basic story. A farmer is scattering seed, and it lands on all different kinds of soils. It lands on a path, it lands on, on rocky soil, it lands on weedy soil, and it lands on good soil. And only the seed that lands in the good soil actually grows, actually produces a usable crop. The seed that lands on the path 
It's too hard. It's not open. It doesn't receive the seed. Eventually, birds eat it, and it goes away. The seed that lands on the shallow soil, it gets started. That's great. But as soon as it gets hot or it doesn't rain, the plant dies because the roofs aren't deep enough. The seed that lands in the weedy soil, it doesn't grow successfully because it's constantly competing for space with the weeds. And eventually, the seed dies. Only the seed that lands in the good soil is the seed that grows. So what's the comparison that Jesus is making? Well, he's simply saying there's a difference between good soil and bad soil. Bad soil is unopened. It's hard like a path. Bad soil is shallow. It's not serious like rocky soil. Uh, 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 bad soil is also weedy. It's, it's divided. It's got too many other things competing for the attention of the seed. And so it doesn't produce good fruit. All of those are bad soil. But good soil is open, it's serious, and it's undivided. It receives the seed and produces a crop. Now, Jesus explains to his disciples that the parable, uh, uh, that what he was trying to communicate by the, the parable, because they were actually kind of confused by it, was that the seed represents the word of God. And so what Jesus was telling the people is, look, only those people who are open-minded, only those people who are serious, and only those people who are undivided actually can receive the word of God. Those are the only ones that the word of God has an effect on. It has no effect on a hard heart. It has no effect on a shallow heart. It has zero to almost no effect on a weedy heart, a divided heart. And so Jesus' point to people was, look, you've got to get all the stuff out of your life that's hindering you from receiving the word of God. You've got to clear it all out, and you've got to receive the word of God as good soil would receive a seed. That's the point of the parable of the sower. But there's something else here that's really interesting. Mark goes on to tell us a second parable, and it and we have to know the sower to understand the lamp. And so we see here in Mark chapter 20, uh, 4, verse 21, do you bring a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought to the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now here's another parable, and it's another comparison. And the comparison here is a lamp on a stand and a lamp under a bowl. You tell me which is better. I'm asking the lamp on a stand, right? A lamp under a bowl is pointless. There's no purpose to that. So it's very obvious. The parable is very simple. Okay, Jesus is saying that a lamp on a stand is better than a lamp on, uh, under a bowl. So what would be his point? Why would Mark put this at the end of the parable of the sower? Well, here's what I propose. I believe what Mark is telling you and I is that not only do we have to receive God's word, but we also have to spread God's word. You see, the, the field becomes the sower. And that's all consistent in the teaching of Jesus Christ. Jesus rains his blessing. God rains, pours down seed. He blesses us in every possible way. Believers and unbelievers alike, but especially believers, even more blessing gets poured down on believers. And now the, the question is, how well are you receiving it? Are you taking it in? Are you getting the most out of it as possible? Are you deep? Are you serious? Are you undivided? Are you able to take it in and let it produce crop? But it doesn't end there. Now are you spreading it to other people? So not only are we responsible for receiving God's word, but we are also responsible for spreading God's word. 
The Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus said this. Use the same parable, verse 14. You are the light. This is Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your, your Father in heaven. That phrase there, when he says, you are the light of the world, the word you is emphatic. And it could be translated like this. You and only you are the light of the world. You know, we like to think of Jesus as being the light of the world. And he certainly is capital light of the world. And he certainly is the only one. But did you know that you and I are also lights of the world? that that's what we're called to be, that God doesn't pour his blessing out on you for having an effect only that's beneficial to you, but he blesses you so that you would pass that blessing on to someone else, that you would share that blessing with other people. And you know what? If you don't do it, who will? I think we run into a danger as Christians. And the danger is, is we focus on our need to receive. And we do need to receive. Every last one of us needs to have the blessing of God poured into our hearts. And we need to take control of our hearts. We need to make sure our hearts are good soil so we can receive as much of the seed as possible. And, we can, and, and out of that can come as much growth and change in us as possible. But, and there's a big but, it doesn't stop there. And we sometimes fall into that trap of thinking it's all about us. It's all about me. I just got to be me. I just got to be the best me I can be. I got to improve this. I got to improve that. Or sometimes we extend it to our immediate family. I got to take care of this. I got to take care of that. I got to focus here. And we forget that we are intended to be a light on a hill. We are intended to be a lamp on a stand. God has intended that you and I would share the blessing with the others, with other people around us, even uh, not, not only our immediate family, but everyone around us. That is, truthfully, the greatest joy of the Christian life. Don't get me wrong, it's great when you grow. It's great when you overcome something a challenge, a sin, whatever. It's great when you see yourself maturing. It's, it's wonderful. But it's, it's all the more wonderful when what you do helps someone else become a believer themselves. How much greater is that? How much more glory do you give God? Because now there's two good soils in the world when there only used to be one. You think about when, when people win a race, we put them up on a podium. When people do something great, they go up and give a speech. When people perform, we put them on a stage. There's something wonderful about letting our light shine in the world. When good things happen, we, we, we broadcast it. We put it out there for everyone to see. And that's exactly what Jesus wants you and I to be. The light to the people around us. We've got to intentionally and we've got to deliberately spread the word of God to the people around us. You know, a lot has gone on in the last six months between Simi Church and Shoreline Church. 
And I really believe God is doing something great. I really believe God wants to bring us together so that we can share a vision, we can share each other's faith, we can help each other get the weeds and the rocks and the hard soil out so that we can be better receptors of God's word together. But I believe that God also wants to send us out. He does want to see churches started in communities where people live so the light can be brought to them. And that's what we're trying to do. If, if, if you don't know what's been going on between Simi and, and Shoreline, I don't know what to tell you. We've, I've, I've, I've had so many conversations and announcements. I don't know. You were under a rock for the past six months. I'm glad you're here. You crawled out great. But what's happening is we are coming together. We want to we be one church because we eventually want to launch another church. Because we want to be a light to the people in Oxnard, Ventura, and, short, and, and uh, 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 Camarillo. I'm not saying there aren't people down there that aren't alike. Now you are. Don't get me wrong. But we want to be focused and deliberate. And we want to build something down there that thrives and survives. And we want to build something up here that thrives and survives. And who knows? Maybe God will bless that. And then we could even get over to that barren land over there in Westlake. That God-forsaken heathen land over there. That path has been hard over there for a long time, but we got to get in there. But wouldn't that be great to be part of something that moves and grows and spreads as exactly as God is calling us to do? It's, 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 it's the joy of the Christian life. Any person that's been part of someone else's conversion knows exactly what I'm talking about. There's something thrilling. There's something deeply satisfying. There's something incredibly powerful and motivating about seeing someone's life be turned over to God. And now I'm not going to, you know, make a sales pitch here. Our lives don't always get better. We just get saved. And then the, the more we work on our heart, the better it is, and the more fruit God can produce in us. That's true. But it isn't always an easy life. And it isn't always a good life, but it is a saved life. And that's what we really are about. That's what really God is all about. He wants us. Us alone. It has been given to us to spread God's word throughout Ventura County. It has been given to you. To spread God's word throughout your neighborhood. Do you realize that Jesus wants you on a, on a stand? He wants to put you up for all to see. So that you can be a light to the people around you and the people in your community. Verse 24. Consider carefully what you hear, he, he continued. With the measure you use, it would measure to you and even more. Who here has seen Spider-Man? I mean, I, I know there's like 10 of them now. I, I, I'm talking about the one where he's upside down, he kisses the girl with, with Tobey Maguire. That's the one I liked. That's the one I liked. There's a great line in that movie that I, I love. It just sits in my head. I love it. And I tell my kids it all the time. I drive them crazy. Maybe you might know the line. With great power 
comes great responsibility. Consider carefully. Isn't that kind of what Jesus is saying? I've blessed you. I have poured blessing on you, and I will continue to do so. Now I want you to give it to someone else. Consider carefully. With great power comes great responsibility. You and I have power of God. We have the power of God within us. The message of God is powerful. It's life-changing. And we have a responsibility to use it and to use it wisely and to use it rightly. Not only are we accountable to how well we receive God's word, not only are we accountable to how well we spread God's word, but we also have to continue receiving God's word. We have to continue working on our hearts and we have to continue constantly focus, be constantly focused on growing. It's a continual process. You can't say, hey, I was good soil 20 years ago. I'm still good soil today. That doesn't happen. If you knew me 20 years ago, you knew me today, you would know that's true. We get hard-hearted. We get shallow. We get divided. And it's a continual process. And there's a responsibility that you and I have as Christians to not just receive God's word initially and, be, and then be a light, but to continue receiving God's word in our life. Continue to let God mold us and shape us and change us. We have a responsibility to continue working on ourselves and our hearts. If we are not growing personally, we will not grow collectively as much as we want to. We will not grow collectively. Verse 25. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken from them. You know what I think Jesus is trying to tell us here? In simple terms, if you don't use it, you will lose it. Paul says this. He was a follower of Jesus. For physical training of some value... But godliness is value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. I appreciate Paul that he connects to the, to the, the world we live in. And many of us know, as you can tell, I go to the gym. It's very obvious. <laughs> and, you know, I go to the gym and I do my exercises. And, you know, as long as I'm going to the gym and I'm doing my exercises, I know you can't tell, but there's something happening there. And it's, and it's at least being maintained in whatever condition. And I don't always like going to the gym. It's miserable and it's hard and all that. But there's a point where, you, you know, after you're done, you kind of go, okay, that's good. I can still walk and, you know, not <laughs> cry when I get up in the morning, that kind of thing. Like, you know, I, I can still be physical and that, that's a good thing. There's some value there, right? Well, well, I think what Jesus is saying is, yeah, okay, and Paul, yeah, yeah, but, but it's all about the spiritual training. Physical training's great. But we got to train ourselves spiritually. And that's what it means to continue honoring the responsibility that you and I have been given. We have been blessed. We were good soil. We received the soil. Now we're supposed to be a light on a, on a, on a stand. But we have to continue to be good soil. And the way we do that is we got to keep training. we got to be spiritually trained. Last year I made a goal. I wanted to bench press 225. 
Only because that's what the pros do when they go to pro day in football. Yeah, they, they, how many reps can you do of 225, right? And I was like stuck at, two thir- at 215 like forever. But I finally hit 225. And I love it. I keep doing it. Every time I go back, I, I, I keep telling myself, maybe I should go higher, right? But I set the goal at 225, so I just keep doing 225 now. But I think some of us got to get the same mindset spiritually. Maybe we need to start bench pressing a new tithing max. You see what I'm saying? Maybe there needs to be a new physical, a spiritual exercise that we should do. Maybe some of us should start lunging our way to church on time. You know, sometimes you want to improve your time. You want your, what do they call that? Your best time or your personal best? Your PR. PR. Oh, it's PB, personal best. PR. I never heard of PR. It's PR? I never heard of that one. All right, PR, personal record. Brian's a runner. I'm not going to argue with him. But, you know, maybe some of us need to improve our personal procrastination time, right? Maybe we can improve on that. Maybe we could shoulder press some visitors to church every now and then. You see what I'm saying? Like, there's a point here, guys, where it's not all about just us and what we've gotten, and okay, now we can walk around holding a sign. No, 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 no. We have to keep working at it, because if you don't exercise your faith, you will lose it. That's the warning. Consider carefully what you hear. It doesn't just stay there. If it did, I would never go to the gym again. I hate the gym. Only go because I have to keep working out to have some kind of muscle somewhere on my body. <laughs> Some of us got to get into the spiritual gym. It is 24 hours. You can get it any time. There's not a lot of cost to it. You can curl and start serving. Maybe you can do some curls and usher, carry some communion plates around you, curl them. Serve in the church some way. These are spiritual disciplines. There's countless. I'm, I'm having fun with it. But you get the point. There's all kinds of spiritual disciplines. You know what you need. Faith, self-control, self-discipline, uh, uh, more giving, whatever, serving. You know what you need. You know what your disciplines are that, you're, that you need to exercise. Get back in the gym and get to work. It's easy to say. We want two churches. It's easy to say we're going to come together and at some point we're going to launch another church down in the, the down the grade as we call it. But guys, we are out of shape. If you think we're going to do that and it's just going to happen, I can't say what I was going to say. You're crazy. You got to get in shape. Spiritual shape. It's a responsibility. If you want to grow your faith, you're going to have to exercise your faith. And the good news is, the results will come. God is the God of results. When he puts the seed into the soil, the soil produces the crop. It's just automatic. God doesn't say, hey, you need to produce the crop. God just says you need to be the good soil. But he's going to do the work. He's going to do all of it. But you got to exercise. You got to work out your faith. 
you got to hit the spiritual gym. I want to see See Me Church, Shoreline Church, glorify God. I know you do too. I want to see you glorify God. I want to see everyone in this room reap the, the benefits of the, of the blessing of God and to be able to pass that on to others. But I want to see every one of us grow spiritually as well. And I think we're getting flabby. Maybe I am, but I mean, you know, like, <clears throat> spiritually. So what do you got to do? What's your workout book? What, what are you going to put down in the book? How many reps? What goal? What are you going to hit this summer? What are you going to do to get yourself ready so that you can be a light and you can be used by God and your faith can be exercised and you can grow for God's glory? Take some time today, please. Think about it. Don't just walk out. Think about it. Take one thing away and put it into practice. The results will come. You'll be fired up. You'll grow. You'll experience the blessing of God. There are some in this room, I'm sure, who've never been in the spiritual gym. They've never really worked their faith out that much. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe it's because you're brand new. Maybe it's because you're visiting. It's never too late to start. At least that's what the trainers tell me in the, real, in the physical gym. It's never too late to start. But let's get in that gym. Let's exercise our faith. And let's give God the glory. You know, those, that preacher and that priest, you know, they were, they were on that side of the road. And that guy went by and he didn't heed the warning. And the truth is, when we try to be a light, not everybody's going to listen. And sometimes they're going to go ripping around that corner. They're going to go right off the bridge. It's going to happen. But at least we can give everybody a chance. At least we, if we take the responsibility upon us, and if we continue to grow, we can give everybody the chance. We can be like the priest and the preacher holding the sign up as people go by. And isn't it going to be great when this time next year we come together and we can't meet here? Because we've got to find somewhere else. This is going to be great when sometime next year we've got two churches and they're growing and they're thriving. Isn't going to be great when next year you're not the same person that you are when you walked in this room today because you've grown and you've changed and you've let the word of God into your heart and you've let it produce fruit. Let your light shine. At this time we're going to stand. Peter's going to close us out with song.